Brass rubbings at the back if you want to um, do a brass rubbing. Castle over there. Don't forget today is also a bread day. Take some bread for yourself. Take some bread for your neighbour. It's, it's a really good way to make connections with others. Does anyone know the name of this castle? Now, there's English people here. No pressure. Oh, it's, um, can we turn off those lights a bit? Let's, let's. Gosh, it's really washed out. Anyone know the name of that castle? Is it Warwick Castle? I don't think so. Um, that's actually me over here. Well, although the truth be told, it could be one of my brothers because I'm the third. And you know, they take lots of photographs of your first child. By the time it gets to number three, I did catch them trying to pass off photos that were of my brothers saying they were of me. But I think that's me in 1967 standing in front of Bodium Castle. I think, I think it's Bodium. Does that ring any bells? It is. Oh, excellent. Where, where is it? Yeah, they're just making up names now for those who haven't been to England. Anyway, look, we don't build castles now. There was a time when the thing you wanted to have was a castle, and now we don't. Something changed. And I want to walk through... Oh, goodness, this is going to be fun. Um, I want to walk through how something has changed a bit. Look at a bit of our history, because I think it will help us now. Sometimes it's helpful to step outside of the now that we're in because we're full of our COVID this and you know, all of this kind of stuff, but to listen to other followers of Jesus. And I want to answer a question um, that my father asked me. He said, well, where did these Baptists come from? But because that's a topic that we're like, oh, goodness. I want to tell you a story of Gunpowder Inc. King's descent and walking. Catch all that? But first of all, let's think about Why? I'm expecting some noises, that's fine. They say change is about moving from order into disorder and then eventually getting to a place where you're reordered, you've kind of made sense of things. And that's what it is to live at a time in change and we live in a time of change now, don't we? Let's just think about some of them. Most of us grew up at a time, well, there was a British Empire, but I'm sorry, post-World War II, they got into debt. And so we don't talk about that so much. Instead, we've kind of had an American empire, which is now heavily in debt to China. So during our lifetimes, you can see the balance of power slowly shifting. It may not just go to China, but it is, this is going on in world events as we speak. And then we've got this threat of climate change. Yes, this year they had the highest recorded um, uh, temperatures in Death Valley. Um, and those of you who've been skiing... Not much of a ski season, particularly if you've been going to club fields that don't make their own snow. And then, as Kevin and Angela illustrated, um, travel isn't what it used to be. Um, we've been affected by COVID. Most of us in our lifetimes, in my lifetime, when I was young, it was possible to jump on a plane and just go somewhere. And we don't know that's going to be the case. We're living in this time of change. And then I kind of want to flag to say, actually, we haven't seen all of the changes that technology is going to bring us. Um, automation is going to have really big impacts and we don't really get all of that. And in all of these, are we in the reorder stage? No, we're in disorder. We're in the middle of a change. And then the last one I'd want to flag, in New Zealand, we are growing our gap between the rich and the poor. The richest 10% of the country owns 60% of it. The bottom 50% of New Zealand owns 2% of the country. 
That gap wasn't always as big as it is now. It's growing. And we don't know this. We're in a state of change. We're probably living in disorder, which is why, as Christians, we get really uncomfortable. We expect order with our God. Something is changing. So I want to go back to the castle. That says something's changed. That bottom line thing's not going to work at all. And just explain, back in the feudal time, a man dressed in armour was almost impossible to defeat by anything other than another man dressed in armour. That's why they had them. And only the really rich could afford that. So in their case, it wasn't 10% owning 50%. It was 1% owning 99% of the country. The lords and the ladies and the kings and queens were in charge. And yes, there was a church and the pope. And there were fights about that. But two huge changes are about to happen for them. And the first change was ink that you could, and the printing press. Suddenly, you could have an idea and print something and pass it on to others. So this is way back, 15th century, way, way back. Wycliffe had translated parts of the New Testament, and for the first time, people could read the Bible instead of having, just having it read to you. And for the kings and queens and the lords, remember, 1% owning... That was a really threatening time because people were publishing ideas. And they were getting around it. They're used to having them controlled. In fact, this kind of thing's happened. Um, uh, Andrew Pritchard, Pritchard referred to it on Wednesday night's webinar. There was, um, over the ditch in Europe, there are Mennonites and other groups coming up all excited about how they can, they, it should be different. They're reading the Bible and, and they've got some good and bad ideas. And there's an entire city that um, rebels. There's a peasant revolution. They throw off the lords. Um, uh, led by a guy called Mansa Mulhausen, who's now what we call one of the Anabaptists, and there's a revolution. And can you imagine what the lords and ladies thought of that? Yep. They all get killed, thousands of peasants. So this is one big change. You can now publish an idea and other people can get it. And here's the second big change. Gunpowder. A man with a gun can shoot through a man with armour. All of a sudden, the people in power are at risk, and it's a very unsettled time. A weird time. So, here we go. Oh, what have I done here? So here we go. This is this, Now, the English people here, feel free to be outla uh, out outraged when I say things that are not correct. I'm going to do my best, but I didn't sit through English history at school. Anyone know who this is? It's Henry VIII, he is, he is. Famous for having six marriages, and because he wanted to have his first marriage annulled, he got quite antsy about the Catholic Church telling him what to do, and so he tried to um, kick the Catholic Church out of power in England. Who's this? I think this is King Edward, remember? <laughs> this is his son, Edward, the sixth, who was raised as a Protestant, so clearly Henry got somewhere. He kicked the Catholic Church out. Um, of course, he didn't live that long. He died at age 15, and um, apart from trying to set up his cousin Jane, um, um, she was deposed very quickly. So who's this? Anyone know? That's Mary I. Yes, Bloody Mary. Why is she called Bloody Mary? She brought back the Catholic Church, and anybody who disagreed with it, well, hundreds of people. We know that over 280 religious dissenters were burnt at the stake. So let's just clarify this for a moment. 
I um, went on ho a holiday to the West Coast and someone I met up with there said, Colin, how are your heresies going? Now, and we had a little conversation about it. I didn't know what he was getting at. In this day, if you had a public heresy from the church, you would quite probably be burnt at the stake or put in prison. We know this has happened. That's why she's called Bloody Mary, is that she burnt a whole bunch of people at the stake. She's, there's a burning, yep. And this is what the church did. If you don't agree with me, you're in trouble. It wasn't just witches, it was anyone. This, any guesses? It's Queen Elizabeth I, well done, um, who heads up what becomes the Anglican Church. And this is President Snow from the Hunger Games, just seeing if you're awake. <laughs> no, this is King James. And King James is famous for... He ordered a translation of the King James Bible. But just to give you a, a setting to this, he didn't just want to... Why did he want to do that? He wanted to do that because there's religious movements springing up everywhere. And he needs to have a sense of control. So he actually gives the translation's instructions and says that the new version will conform to the ecclesiology and reflect the episcopal structure of the Church of England. So even before the translation is begun, there's actually a thing of control going on here. I want to have control of religion. This is actually about power. And you know I mentioned gunpowder? Any, any guesses as to when the um, Guy Fawkes attempting to blow up Parliament happens? It happens during his reign. So these two things are massively changing their culture. Okay, and I think that's got something to say to that because I think we're in the middle of similar changes. Okay, time for a bad joke. When I um, went, walked to the Abel Tasman, there's a bay there called Mosquito Bay, and in the hut in Mosquito Bay, there was a, uh, there were, someone had written in the hut book some jokes, and the first one was, knock, knock. Amos. A mosquito. Knock, knock. Anna. And another mosquito. Well, before there were Baptists, there were these things called Anabaptists. They were just people who had decided they'd looked at the Bible and they'd looked at the church. Where, remember, everybody is a Christian. Everybody is going to church or else they might be burnt at the stake. Everybody is giving lip service to this is how it should be, but they're not living that way. He looks at, they look at this and they think, it can't be like this. People have to make some kind of decision to follow Jesus. This is what they feel. And so they say to the state church, they say no, and they get called dissenters. They say you have to have a faith and you have to decide. They're called dissenters and... King Henry, way back at the start there, he issued a heresy decree and said, anybody who believes this, you've got two weeks to leave the country or you're in trouble. And then, um, after those two weeks, 19 Dutch Anabaptists were burnt at the stake. Elizabeth did the same thing. In fact, the last person burned at the stake in England was during James I's time, and he was an Anabaptist. People who believed something close to what we believe. In fact, King James said, I will make them conform or I will harry them out of the land. So essentially, if you didn't agree with what the state church said, you were in trouble. And this is where Baptists came from. See, they're reading the Bible and they're having ideas and thinking, 
can't be like this. And so the first guy, and I, I, I love this, in historical things he's called, um, he's Joseph Smith, a learned man and of good ability, but of an unsettled head. <laughs> and he decides, look, church should be made up of people who believe. They get called Baptists because they decide, well, you may as well get baptized because Jesus says you should do that. And he is literally harried out of the country. All these guys, they leave England. They leave because the alternative might be burnt at the stake. He meets up with a guy called Thomas Helworth, who eventually comes back to England. They think, no, we have to do this at home. And so he writes a letter to King James and says, hey, king, don't mind you being a king, but you should really butt out of telling the church what to do. Can you imagine what happens next? Uh, no, actually, he isn't killed immediately. He gets put in prison for a good while first. Lots of them end up in prison. It means that the first Baptist churches... So what they believe is that you should decide to follow Jesus and reflect it in your life. And having watched this, this church system controlled by bishops and kings and said, we don't want a bar of that. And what it meant is that they um, had church on the run. They did it in odd buildings. They used to fill the corridors with women and children, so when the police came in to get them, they would trip over them. They would have people, they would, um, one church is famous for having a sheet up here so you couldn't see who was preaching. And the idea is that if the police came in, they would pull the sheet down, and then they would all stand up and they would read from Psalms, because you weren't allowed to sing, <laughs> and it, but it was acceptable to read from Psalms, and no one could know who was speaking. Um, one of the famous ones, John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress. He ends up in prison for years and years and years, uh, sorry, about 12 years, and he could have left at any time. All he had to do is say, no, no, you're right. Stayed in prison. So they're idealists. And here's what, I'm going to get to the point, here's what they went on to try and say. They believed, if it isn't a bishop or the king that has authority, where does the seat of authority lie? They believed but when two or three gather, Christ is present. That's the fundamental Baptist decree. Where two or three gather, Christ, and here's what he says, the church, though they be but two or three, have Christ given them with all the means of salvation. You have what you need. We have what we need when we're gathered. A couple of other things they believed. They believed, therefore, when you come together, it shouldn't just be the priests doing stuff, it should be anyone. In fact, I love this bit at the end here. It says, um, well, actually, I'll read it out. And, and therefore may and ought, when they come together to pray and prophesy and break bread and administer in all the holy ordinances, although they, as yet, they have no offices, or that their offices should be in prison, sick, or by any other means hindered from the church. That tells you the most likely reason for them not to be there. They're in prison, or they're sick. Um, little shout out to COVID there. The last thing they said is that, mate, if we're going to do this, then everybody should know each other because you can't love people you don't know. Okay. Now these guys, these Baptists, they're not famous for writing everything down. They didn't think a scholar in the office was the best place. But they did decide. Here's what they decided church was about. They made a covenant. They joined themselves by a covenant into a church estate in the fellowship of the gospel, to walk in all his ways, made known or to be made known to them. 
according to their best endeavours, whatever it should cost them, the Lord assisting them. What they're saying is, we're going to try and follow Jesus, walk like Jesus, no matter the cost. All right, now in our world, we would say, uh, do you want to follow Jesus? But they talk about walking in his ways, and just for a moment, I want to tell you why. Here comes the Bible part. Oh, and this is a cue for, if you want to head out and have a discussion for the distracted you're welcome to any time here on in. In the Bible, it's full of walking with God. Abraham is told to walk before me faithfully and be blameless. In fact, he's told that I will walk among you and be your God. That's what we're told in Leviticus. The language of to walk in obedience with him, the Bible's full of it. 24-7 workers, you know, this one, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does God require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to humbly with our God. They saw, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And later on, Jesus writes, says, you're going to have the light just a little longer. Walk while you have the light. So their metaphor for following Jesus was to walk with Jesus or to walk in his ways. Walk by the Spirit. Follow God's examples as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. They didn't seem to talk a lot about follow Jesus. They talked about walking in his ways, but I guess they were comparing to a church that walked in all sorts of ways. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. They also didn't have anything like the mobility we had. If you had a role, that if you were the village baker, that's what you did. You had no choice. You couldn't sell up and shift. If you, 99% we think are peasants landed uh, working on the land, you have no choice, it's not your land. So I was kind of taken, sorry for this odd message, I was kind of taken with the fact that these guys reacted in the middle of a time of change and said, actually, we have to make this really basic. It has to be about following Jesus and walking in his ways. And I wondered what would they say to us if they came forward to our time. The first thing they'd say is, read your Bible. For goodness sakes, you've got it. They didn't have it. For years and years and years, it was gobbledygook to them, Latin. We've got it in our language. Read it. When they got together, do you know what they did for their services? Somebody would stand up, read a passage of scripture, and talk about it for about an hour. And then somebody else would get up and take the same passage and talk about that for about an hour. And anybody who wanted to could including women, which at their day was quite outrageous. Okay, so they would say, read the Bible. Then they'd say, get together, share your life, and love one another. If you don't know people, you can't really love them. They would say, let the state be the state. That's their job. That's not our job. Our job is to walk in the ways of Jesus. So they would be completely gobsmacked that we're having two referendums asking us what we think. I was like, really? Your state cares to ask what you think? But the state is not asking churches what they think. The state is asking people what they think. So feel free. Do some research. Figure out what you think. Talk about it with others. But they would say you've got to walk in the ways of Jesus. And they believed that you wouldn't have all the answers. And they believed it because the church at the time had sewn it all up. Here's all the answers. This was the right way. You should be this way. 
and clearly it wasn't. So they thought, well, you have enough when you gathered for the next step, hence the language of walking. They believed everybody has a voice and has stuff to do, not just the priest. Okay. Why am I raving about this to you? One is it's got energy for me. I don't think this is an easy time to follow Jesus. I think it's incredibly confusing and I think we're caught in the middle of massive change, much bigger than we think. And I think there's no time better than that to boil it down to brass tacks and say, do you want to follow Jesus and show it in your life? And do you want to do that with other people? My wife agrees. She said, okay. So I talked about it with the elders. We've um, faced it through. This is based on the membership covenant that the Gainsborough Church made in 1606 to each other. They said, roughly, when, if you want to become a member here, we'd like you, if you're not and you'd like to, we'd like to, you to be willing just to go, will you walk in the ways of Jesus, those made known and those yet to be made known? That means you're going to follow Jesus and live it and do you recognise you don't have all the answers? Yep, that's the first one. That's about you and God and about how you live. And the second statement, will you walk with this community watching over one another with love, is asking you, do you want to follow Jesus with us? Because if you do, church really should be a place where we're getting together and trying to figure out what that looks like in our place at that time. What does it mean to walk in the ways of Jesus when we find out that this school's having really significant problems? Well, for a start, it means I'm doing a coffee with the principal. It means that we pray for them. What does it mean to follow Jesus when we face referendums? Well, it means we do some reading about them. These things have um, statements in, what is this referendum about? Key reasons for and against, and then it says, what are the Christian principles that apply? Does it mean that we should all agree? Well, actually, the early Baptists said no. They said sometimes that's the whole point of understanding something well is looking at it from more than one point of view. I was a bit nervous to try and have a meeting about these topics. I thought it might just be that we get very cross with each other and, and, and don't listen, but I've been of good heart because I've listened to a few conversations where there's been genuine listening happening and I want to repent. Sorry, guys, I haven't trusted enough. The thing is... But we don't have all the answers, but we have enough to follow Jesus in the next step. And things like these referendums are complicated. So there's space for difference. To be fair, on the whole, Baptists aren't great at policy. People often ask me, what's the Baptist response to? And actually, Baptists were never very good at that. They tended to just say, well, what can we do? Turns out at the moment the largest um, religious social service in New Zealand is Baptist Social Care. And you've never heard the name. If you've never heard the name because it comes up to 240-odd Baptist churches looking at social issues next to them and saying, what shall we do? And so we're apparently one of the largest providers of social housing in New Zealand. Clearly Parklands isn't. <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of churches that are. Because we think that on the ground, you can figure out the best thing. What do we do next? That's what I'm hoping for with our building. I actually don't think the building changes. Uh, it, 
it will be easier to set up and rip down. We will be more comfortable. It will be easy to invite people into. Um, youth groups will make large um, stains on the walls. <laughs> um, but actually, that's not the key thing. With who we are and where we are placed, what does it look like for us to be a follower of Jesus? That is the core question I'd love us to be talking about for everything. And if you were wanting to follow Jesus with us, well, we'd love you to be in a life group. Or if life groups aren't the right shape with you, who could you meet together with? Could you have a breakfast with someone, a regular coffee, to talk about the stuff of life? This is the stuff I'm doing. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm rejoicing over. Because the Baptists kind of believed that life wouldn't be easy. But when two or three are gathered, Christ would be there and you would have enough. And I tell you this odd, convoluted historical story simply because I think it gives us room for courage. Yep, we don't actually know the shape of church in the next 10 or 15 years. We really don't. If anyone had really sorted this thing out, it would be obvious. But we don't. We do know that we're called to love one another. We do know that we're called to follow Jesus. That's what we really need to know. And then it's a matter of talking about it together. So could I ask someone to pop back and invite our um, kids back? They've been asked to talk about, I wonder if they have, what they think the ways of Jesus might be. What do you think they'll say? Anybody else want to offer what they think it might be to walk in the ways of Jesus? Too soon? It's all right, I won't go on longer. The secret of comedy is timing. Not my major strength. Anyone would like to suggest what is one of the ways of Jesus that we should be walking in? So one of the beliefs is anybody may speak. You came up with heaps? Oh, I wouldn't want to hear the adults. They should know something, shouldn't they? Well, uh, maybe we'll, we'll, you can prime the pump. Okay. Are you going to say some of them, Isaac? Yep. Yeah. Uh, so what, what might it look like to walk in the ways of Jesus? Can you read them? Pray every night, even the weekends. <laughs> That's what Nathan said. Uh, can you read that? It's not very good writing, is it? Follow the Ten Commandments. Yep. Get in as many people as possible to know, to know God. Know God. Um, I think that was getting a ch church group together who can pray together. And then this one. Reading the Bible. Okay. And then we had some practical kind of examples of things, like somebody is being teased or um, somebody is being mean, to, you know, people are being mean to somebody at school, what we would do. Can you read that? Um. <laughs> Help them. I didn't have a pen. The crayon wasn't that great. Help them. Um. Uh, I don't know what that means. Tell them, I've written. Maybe tell the person oh, who what's... did it. Oh, yeah, so then, Isaac, you said this one, this last bit. We, we could be, at school, we could be a... Be a good role model. That's what we got. 
Fantastic. Would anyone else like to make a suggestion? They're feeling the pressure. So that's about honesty, transparency, and being willing to say, I don't know all the answers. I found that phrase that the Baptist used, in the ways yet to be made known, actually quite provoking. And we live in an age when everybody wants to pretend that they are the expert. Um, and actually, a lot of us aren't. Being willing to give your time, talents, resources to serve. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a big thing. Actually, honestly, I think it may be one of the biggest things about um, the church's response. I'm getting on a bit now. Um, remember the Mayor Gary Moore? He used to go around, I heard him a number of times say, Christchurch as a city, as a city simply would not survive if it weren't for the Christians hooking into not-for-profits serving the city. That's what he saw as mere. Yeah, I think that's happening all the time. I don't think we value it enough and we don't think we see it enough. I think a good starting place would be to actually go out and find what the community needs. I think there's probably a few of us in this room that actually interact with the community enough to know, but I don't think the rest of us do. I think... Yeah, so that's an interesting reflection. Mark says if we, um, maybe a few of us are connected with the local community, but you think that probably most of us aren't. That, that fairly saying. One of the things that I love about this Baptist response, and it just um, is this sort of sense of you are where you are because God has put you there, and when you gather, you have enough. Okay, so. If you stop right now and you think, who do I connect with in this world? Who do I connect with that's not of this church or, or even of Christian faith? Fair people, we can have a conversation about what do you think? What do you need? I'm really encouraged by the relationship we have with the school. I'm thrilled because of um, Kieran's efforts. I was thrilled that I got contacted to say, hey, here's the problems, could you pray for us? And I'm following up by trying to follow that through with as I say, coffee with the principal. But I think all of us have something, people around us that we can do this with. I do think we probably have to be careful not to pretend we have all the answers for that. Never 
I'm not going to try and re-say that. <laughs> um, but, I, but I will say, I, there's one other mark of the culture that we live in that we take for granted. We have instant access to uh, um, a kind of gushing pipe loads of stuff. Netflix coming at us, YouTube, all these. We have constant images of the flash shiny churches of what other people are doing and it breeds in us a sense of discontent that we want, we should do it like them. Yep. They didn't have that back in these early days. They just knew their little area. And so I think it was relatively easy to be faithful to theirs. I want to come back and say, part of what attracted me to this was this sense that here now we are gathered, God is present. God's expectations of everyone here are not unrealistic. They are more realistic than ours. God's deep abiding love for us goes even bigger than that. Each day, you're given opportunities, and I am too, and I things prepared that we can do that are part of our worship of God, saying, yes, God, you're doing this. I'm going to do that bit. That's what we're made for. That's fundamental to us following Jesus. Simply in our lives as an act of worship saying, yes, that looks like what a follower of Jesus would do. So, can I have the team up? We're going to sing one last song. Yes? This will be the sung worship, and after that we go into our lives, and we don't have tea and coffee together here because we're being good, responsible people. Um, I'd love it if you this week talked with someone else about how are you finding following Jesus? What does this look like? I'd love it if you're not a member and you're at all interested, there's a booklet at the back. There's 30 copies of that that tell you this is what it takes to be a member because I'm keen to get people to sign up to that, those two statements, do you want to follow Jesus and do you want to follow Jesus with us? Because if you do, I think we've got some stuff to do. Thanks.